everybody and welcome to episode 103 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, did someone say Jack Thompson? Points for cash on Nintendo Switch, more sales news for GTA 5, and the book club this week is dedicated to the comeback kid as we talk year one of the Nintendo Switch. Let's start the show. Link to the Cast, episode 103 from linktothecast.eu, available on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, or Stitcher. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, joined, not in studio, weirdly enough, but uh, remotely, by uh, the platforming prodigy that is Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you? I already miss you. I know. It, it, it hurts deep, doesn't it? Oh, man, I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this has been a pretty big week for you. Uh, it's uh, been a long few days. And, like, it's not been all bad. I mean, there was the bit where I got stuck in. So where I've moved to is basically a 30-second walk from where I work. Um, but the area that that's in, it's basically like a, a business park on the outskirts of Dublin. Um, and when everything shuts down... There is nothing to do here. And when everything shuts down and there's snow involved, there's really nothing to do here and you're cold. And so the train that I can get back to um, where I used to live, uh, the train was every two hours. Yeah, Uh, the train was every two hours. So I was stuck in this area for two hours on Sunday. And um, even the guy in the hotel wouldn't let me sit there and just have a drink and watch the football. He was like, no, no, you need to have... uh, uh, a place for the night here. I was like, just, I just want to seven up and watch the football. Can you not? Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, it's been a long couple of days, but hopefully, I don't know, maybe next weekend because I have to move everything this weekend because that got cancelled because of uh, the storm and the snow. <laughs> um, oh boy, yeah. yeah. So I'm fine though. I'm still in brief, in in relatively good spirits, but I may fall asleep during this podcast. So. <laughs> You've been warned. Good to hear. Good to hear. Once you don't fall asleep on the stop button, I'll be able to yeah. kind of vamp for a while until you've got a nap in. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose that's the other big thing that's happened this week is the fucking snow. Um, it had started, didn't it? It was the day, the, the last day we recorded was the first day of the snow. And it was like, it was, it was bad. It wasn't hugely bad at that point. I think it was Wednesday night, Thursday morning that it really went into overdrive um and by friday the country had pretty much shut down yeah um i have never like my the kind of generation older than me like the people who are in their 40s and 50s now uh they all talk about a great snow of i think 82 or 84 and that was the worst one that had ever happened at that point and uh judging by most middle-aged people i have talked to since this one was worse Um, i've never had a snowstorm um, of this level before back home, like never. Uh, yeah, it was just like because I came, I was walking home on, I want to say Wednesday or th- I think it was Wednesday night, and the snow had started to come down. Oh, and, that'd be Wednesday, yeah. 
Yeah, and like there was a, a thin layer on on the floor, and I was like, okay, well, this is you know just a kind of standard snowstorm. This is fine. Um, and then I woke up Thursday morning, and I was like, oh, right, okay, this isn't good. Um, I thought, right, I'll probably just work from home today because um, the trains might be running, but I'm not gonna, you know, it's an hour to get to work, and I just I don't need the grief. Uh, and then I woke up Friday morning and I was like, okay, I'm definitely not leaving the house today because I can't um, because there was a four foot wall of snow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, like they were telling us about this snow that was coming. And I think the famous last words of our housemate, Dan, was, oh, I'll believe it when I see it. And then, oh, we fucking saw it. <laughs> uh, like, as you say, like a four foot wall of snow is not an exaggeration at all. No. Um like there was the night where the real blizzard came down and it was the night where our friend and friend of the show ben uh came across town to have a games night because he's crazy um even though a red like they, for two and a half days i think there was a, a, a red level weather warning where they said like just don't leave your house please do, like not even walking let alone driving and he came across, but during that time, I think there was one point where, like, we'd been constantly sweeping the the doorstep to keep it clear for the lads going out having a smoke or just to get out of the house. And like every fifteen minutes or so, when they were going out, there was a new like couple of inches of snow that they were having to sweep out of the way so that they'd have ground to stand on. And... Yeah, I've never seen anything like it before. Um... It was it was biblical. Yeah. Um, and it was a thing where it, it was one of those situations where there was so much snow, there was no point in people like gritting roads and things because the snow was falling so quick that the grit was getting buried. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, like like you said, never seen anything like it in my life. The, the, the snow was piled up on the roof of our back room window, so our back, back room roof so high that it was about halfway up my bedroom window. Um, which was insane, and there was like, I, I, when the the JCB started coming through town, and like pushing the snow off the road onto the path, like there were legitimate snowbanks taller than I was. Um, it was a real nightmare factory trying to get anywhere. Was it the um? It's it was the level the the kind of level of snow that if we'd had thrown the cat into it, uh, the cat would have disappeared. We never would have seen him again. We never would have seen him again. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, and he doesn't like outside at the best of times. No. But uh, yeah, it's only really coming back to normal maybe since yesterday. And there's still like, yeah, I walked downtown today and there's still like massive clumps of it on the sides of roads that just haven't melted yeah, completely and I'm, yet. I'm curious, like, so part of the issue I had with moving at the weekend was that, um, so my girlfriend Laura was going to come down and would have done a couple of journeys back and forth with all of my stuff to the, the new place. Um, so she lives in uh, West Meath, and she That's lives... the Midlands of Ireland, for people who don't know. And she lives in a part of West Meath that is very much out in the sticks. Uh, and she showed me a, a picture of her front garden, and just white as far as you could see. Um, and I think by, like, Sunday... They'd finally had, like, someone from the council or a, a farmer who was pissed off had just come by with a JCB and started clearing out a path. But the roads <laughs> around there are quite narrow as it is, so there are just, like, banks of snow about eight feet high. And, um, you know, two cars trying to go past each other would have been a bit risky. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I imagine it's still not great around there. But, yeah, yeah good times. It, it, 
it was a case of where like there was a town about half an hour north of where we live um that someone took a photo of them like walking down the road and it, it there's nothing that seems off about it at first it just seems like they're walking down a road covered in snow you don't realize how high the snow is at first until the camera pans down to the roof of a jeep buried in snow <laughs> it's like it's not great if, if even jeeps have no chance then yeah there's there's no need to go outside and then briefly ireland descended into pathetic looting uh yeah, as a bro. as a as a little was 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 raided by a jcb and looters and then i think my favorite thing of the whole week the two of us watched it uh the the late late show which is the it's it's apparently the longest running late night chat show in the world um and I don't know really. It, no, I don't know if that's a, a claim that's like a bold claim because um, you know it's RTE. It's probably taking any content it can get. Yeah. Well, like it, it's been running since I, I want to say like the the sixties. This show, like continuously, um, which is pretty. You know, in the age of television, is still pretty impressive to run for that long and yeah. not be cancelled, regardless of country. Sure. But um, yeah, because of the snow, uh, the audience couldn't make it in. Uh, and the guests couldn't make it in, so the host Ryan Tuberty had to go on his radio show on Friday morning before the show and beg anybody that could get to the <laughs> studio to come on the show. And then the the guests of the show and their friends and family were the audience. So you had this massive cavernous studio and about twenty people at the front who were just like family friends and the actual guests themselves who were gonna standing up doing their guest part and then just sitting back down at the audience. It was the most surreal thing. And then there was like. They were doing on-the-ground reporting from some mad family that decided to still have the wedding that was going ahead on the Friday, and they were all snowed in at a hotel with this RT reporter who seemed intent on interviewing every single guest at the wedding reception because they had so much time to fill. Oh, it really God. was uh, quintessential Irish television. It really was. It was an absolute classic. Uh, everyone should look it up on the RT player if they can. Shall we talk about some video games, my friend? Yeah, got it. Playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. You've got a weird one this week, Mark, <laughs> that I have never heard of before. Right, so basically, um, in foresight of moving and realizing that I may not have internet for a couple of weeks. Um, and also because I don't really want to spend any money at the moment. Um, I've gone back to a wonderful little uh, piece of software called OpenEMU, which is um, uh, basically an emulator for MacBook. I think it's on Windows as well, but it's definitely a MacBook. And it's great because it runs basically, and I'm not trying to kind of publicize ROM hacks here, but it runs pretty much everything pre the year 2000. Um, and I decided that as I am the platforming prodigy, that I should take the time to go back and have a look at platforming games that maybe I have uh, just overlooked because I just never heard of them before. So I went uh, and I looked up, I was like, okay, give me kind of uh, rare or not so well-known um, PlayStation platforming games. Uh, one that came up was a game called Pandemonium. I don't know if you've heard of Pandemonium before. 
I've heard of Pandemonium, I've never played it though. So that was a game that I had, which is like a kind of 2.5D side-scrolling platformer. Great game, really, really difficult. But I was like, well, I've played that, so I want to look for something else. Uh, and then this game come up called uh, Klonoa, Daughter Phantom Mill, uh, which was a Namco game from 1997. So I can't really do a book club feature on it because, you know, it's a game I'd never played before. And it's certainly a game you've never even heard of. So I don't think it really qualifies. So I figured I'll talk about it now because also I've not fucking played anything else at the moment. Uh, but basically, uh, so you play as this uh, anthropomorphic creature that looks a little bit like, uh, kind of like a Pokemon, like a rabbit with really long ears. Um, and it's 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 a side-scrolling platformer. Um, it uses the, the 2.5D model, uh, which is always a really interesting perspective for like a platformer because you are running along just the one plane um, on one axis but you've got all these kind of 3D models and stuff that are going around you and it's always cool when you're running along and then the camera shifts its focus and it shows you that you're walking like across like a kind of winding bridge and obviously you're only going in one direction but it's a nice little feature and it's um I don't know, it's, it's a really cool visual style, uh, and I think it's a style that like could still be replicated, I think it still is replicated in, in games today, um, but obviously because it was of that time where the transition to 3D was still a bit herky-jerky, that mm. um, some developers was, felt more comfortable to keep to a 2D plane, but incorporate 3D elements. Uh, and Clonova does a really good job, and like if anyone had played Pandemonium, they definitely get the same vibe. Or another game called Toomba, uh, which is a favourite game of mine from the, the PS1. Um, and it incorporates... Uh, the kind of key mechanic is that uh, Clonova... Uh, it's... I don't know if it's a, a female or a male. I'm going to go with it. Uh, it's main attack is that it has like a kind of short-range um, grab, and it can grab enemies... And then it holds the, the enemy above them. Um, and it can do one of two things. It can either throw them like a projectile back at another enemy. Or it can use that enemy to then propel itself higher. Um, and certain enemies have different gimmicks. So some that you hold and you can see they're kind of floating up and down. Those types of enemies will let you uh, float up to a higher vantage point. Uh, and sometimes they'll have enemies that are one is above the other one and so you kind of have to jump grab one lift yourself up higher then grab the other one and kind of chain yourself up to to get to a higher platform and that's usually to get like rarer items and stuff uh, like the key core like level design is pretty simple in terms of getting from point a to point b uh with some few a few basics uh thrown uh, sorry a few puzzles thrown in here and there um, with a couple of features like um, there's one level where the time of day changes from nighttime to daytime uh, pretty quickly and so enemies in the daytime you can grab but then at nighttime you can't and they become invincible basically so you have to perform a, a certain number of actions um, during the daytime pretty quickly uh, and yeah it's I don't know it's it's a very Japanese game it's by Namco mm. so it doesn't really come as a surprise no uh, and uh, you know in terms of the story there's not really much to it it's just, there's this big fuck off wizard like creature who wants to take over the world with the moon kingdom so it's all that kind of light versus <laughs> dark think, type of stuff think of a generic video game plot and that's it it pretty much is pretty much is 
Um, but there's a, a floating fish. That's pretty cool. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you should put that quote on the box. <laughs> there's a floating fish. Pretty cool. But yeah. just no, it has a really cool, like visually uh, striking style, and like it very much is of its time on the PS1. But it doesn't look yeah. as aged or as dated. Um, and there was a sequel on the PS2 that makes me want to have a look at that. Uh, yeah, and so it's it was a pretty cool, pretty cool platforming game. So. Uh, from a kind of game with with all mechanics and very minimal story to exactly the opposite, uh, I I polished off Night in the Woods this week. Ah, um, which I'd kind of been chipping away at a new since it showed up on the Switch. Um, so yeah, finished that story. Uh, I really really like that game. I think um, it's a shame that I didn't get to it and finish it last year. Um, it might have been in more conversations uh, at awards time, certainly in terms of best story or, or maybe best style. Um, yeah, really, really like it. It's again, like I said at the start there, it's not one of those ones. If you're looking for a fun gameplay challenge, this is not that game. If it's uh, if you're looking for a game that you want to play while the TV's on, you're paying more attention to the TV. This isn't that game either. You really need to be following what's going on. Like if you're not paying attention to the dialogue, then what's the point? Um, it gets really kind of because it, it, the game starts off fairly grounded. Like there's some wacky characters. Obviously, they're all talking animals, but no one ever really talks about how they're all talking animals. It just kind of is the way people are in this universe. But uh, apart from that, it, it's the, the dialogue and the way people interact with each other for the first two thirds of the game, anyway, is uh, fairly grounded and, and like, oh, you could see this in a kind of. Um, like a serious drama about college age kids, you know, trying to find their place in the world. Uh, and then there's like a, a kind of almost standby me esque discovery around the halfway point, maybe of the game. And then things start to take a turn for the weird. Um, there are these, there are kind of like surreal interludes that happen throughout the game, but they're usually confined within May's dreams. So that's, that's fine because dreams are weird. That's the whole thing. And you're trying to figure out what they mean. But then the actual real world events, uh, after that moment, halfway through the game, take a really weird turn. And I think I described it to you without spoiling the game for people, uh, is that it goes real, like the last, you know, 45 minutes of hot fuzz, it kind of turns into that a little bit. And um, I, when I think about the things that happen towards the end of that game, again, I'm trying to dance around things. I, I, it, on paper, it doesn't work at all. But I think I was, you know, 10 to 15 hours maybe uh, into the game at this point, And I bought into all the narratives of all the characters. So the fact that this was kind of like... A silly-ish sort of conclusion to the the central mystery of the game. Um, I, I kind of just went along with it. Um, it's it it's a very for a game that was that grounded and and had such realistic dialogue to take that turn is is interesting creatively, and I'd love to kind of get into you know if there's an interview somewhere where they kind of explain why they went that way with it. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's a thorough recommendation for sure. Um, it's it, it kind of shows like a lot of detractors of games as a as an art form as a medium for conveying uh, quality storytelling um, tend to go oh well it's just like jumping around princesses another castle kind of bullshit. But this is like this is 
better written and better in interpreted relationships uh, of actual real seeming people than most kind of movies and tv shows about kids that are around college age you know there's the right amount of melodrama for kind of for it to be an interesting story but and i I think you you mentioned it mark when we talked about it the first time in this show is that some of the 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 conversations that may has with her parents are some of the just like the most realistic conversations you've ever seen in a video game or anything for that matter oh yeah um and yeah for that for the the music um which is nice and kind of like it, it, it the music is great at uh, uh there's no kind of like oh i'd love to listen to that track again you know like say the theme song for arms that we were raving about last year there's no like banging tune in night at the, night in the woods but what there is is there's a series of of songs that are are, are ambient sounds that really set a mood it, it's that kind of it fits, the, it fits the tone of the game Absolutely. Um, and I, I do, I, I really do love the art style in it. And it was perfect for that little screen on the Switch to just be playing away. Um, so, yeah, thorough recommendation for Night in the Woods for me. Um, that's what we've been playing this week. Let's move on now to the news. News on the mark. Mark, certain things come back once every generation or so. Um, 3D movies, tuberculosis, um, and censorship of video games. And uh, this week, well, kind of like this, the story had started to break around the time we were recording last week, but uh, we have a bit more on it now. And that's uh, over in the States, obviously, after um, the, the, the horrible... Uh, recent events, the, the school shooting, um, there has been kind of renewed efforts in America to try and uh, pin Def- blame deflect, somewhere. Deflect, yeah, de- def- deflect the gun issue. Now, obviously, we have a policy uh, on this program to be uh, kind of oasis from the dread of the administration of a, who, uh, of uh, a man who I believe I refer to on this show, uh, show as a tangerine micro-limbed cretin um, so we won't talk about him, but his administration uh, are looking at video games as a possible cause. Um, and yeah, we've lived through this now. I think in our lifetime, Mark, uh, unless I'm wrong, we've lived through this twice. There was the ESRB Foundation, like off the back of the whole like video game violence and Mortal Kombat stuff in the in the 90s. And then we had good old Jackie T, Jack Thompson, uh, in the 2000s, uh, the, the kind of wave of hysteria around Grand Theft Auto and the like that we should ban those games, ban this sick filth. Uh, and, and now we're getting it again. Um, but I think really what's what's fun this time is that like the previous two times it happened, now I don't remember as much obviously with the ESRB because we were children, but definitely in the Jack Thompson time, there was a lot of panic within the video game community that something bad was going to happen. But I don't know about you, this time that it's come around, is it just me or is there an air within the much more now, much more powerful video game industry in, in terms of like how much money is behind the video game industry now? Uh, has there been a collective like, yeah, just fuck off like? <laughs> I think... Um, it's a number of things. I, there certainly is that. Um, I think that because we've had um, since Columbine, 
you know, we've had so many fucking school shootings for the last 18, 19 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's insurmountable evidence that, that this isn't a mental health issue or a video game issue. This is a issue with guns in America. Um, the obvious reasonings or examples being, hey, uh, we have video games in the UK and in Australia and here and there, and we don't really have school shootings. So, hmm, I wonder what the link is. Um, there's also the obvious fact that we're dealing with a man who who, who will not be named, where um, everything has been a deflection from what the root cause of the actual issue is. Um, mm. And it's not even the boy who, boy who cried wolf. Um, this is the man who is dressed up as the wolf um, yeah. and is holding a, a, a rifle. Um, so, yeah, I don't think anyone's taking this seriously. And I'd fully expect that he's meeting with video game executives to consist of Notch and maybe Billy Mitchell. Who the, wants um, that fucking DK record back? The thing about um the thing I find about um the the kind of the trying to find a scapegoat thing is that every every time these scares come up they they tend to just blame whatever the new kind of popular media product is so video games have been getting the shellacking for the last 10 or 15 years when as you mentioned there when columbine happened as you'll recall or if you want to watch the 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 excellent bowling for columbine documentary you you'll recall that they blamed at the time things like marilyn manson and south park because that kind of that the shock rock music of marilyn Manson was kind of, you know, in vogue at the time and and South Park was the new hot uh, animated series. A generation before that, it was movies or movies getting too violent. There was uh, in the in the eighties and nineties with gangster movies and with um, Tarantino and things like that. Not necessarily blaming school shootings on it, but just violence in general. Um, that was happening in the United States. And even before that, like, I think it was, was it the, the was it uh, Mark David Chapman, the guy who shot John Lennon, blamed Catcher in the Rye for telling him to do it? I don't know. You know? I just know like, that John Lennon beat his wife, so. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Sean McGee. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. it's, you know, people will blame the thing they don't understand and you'll find that pretty much 100% of the people that will, like or close to 100% of the people that are going to be blaming video games for this are people who either haven't touched a video game in a long time or aren't immersed in the culture of video games. Yeah, so basically Republicans. Yeah, and and if you look at uh, there's there's articles, oh my god, there's one this week and uh Jim Sterling did uh, I I heard you because he went on for it a lot longer than we will. Uh, go on to his YouTube channel and he went on about it. there was a, I think it was a time article. I can't remember where it was. I I don't I don't really want to give it any publicity so I'm not even going to go look up where it was from uh there was an article that posited because this guy uh played call of duty once uh and say i think he he said he used call of duty oh no it wasn't it wasn't even him it was your man um oh the guy who uh, anders brevik you know that guy do you remember him the mass oh, murderer the, the norwegian yeah 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 
Jim Sterling was like, that guy said that Call of Duty, because this was the article cited this as the evidence that video games are causing uh, mass shooter events. And he said that Anders Breivik said that he used Call of Duty to develop his aiming technique. And (laughs) Jim Sterling was just like, so everything else this man says, we go, oh, he's a crazy guy. Like when he talks about his fascism, we say, oh, he's insane. When when he talks about his political beliefs and things like that, it's like, oh, this guy is insane. But as soon as he says video games, like, oh, that's the thing that's true. Yeah. And like the thing is, because I saw... um... Uh, there was a CNN opinion piece, and they were like, "Oh, if a mass that was poss- it. that was it, that oh, was okay. a CNN piece." Yeah, so yeah. it's possible that mass shooter wants to hone his craft. Um, so you know, don't hand him a virtual boot camp. And I'm like, yeah. "I'm sorry, but I was like, I'm sorry, but surely, like, if a person doesn't know how to drive, they could learn to drive by playing a video game, and then within a yeah. month, they'd be able to do the fucking yeah. Le Mans 24." That- yeah, that was they were they were using like VR as the most dangerous uh, virtual boot camp for shooters, and I, I, I my thought on it as someone who do, like I don't play VR, but I follow news on VR, obviously what we do here at the program, and I'm just like, well, like if anybody tries to use that as a virtual boot camp, the one Pavlovian response they'll have is that anytime they pick up a gun and try to shoot someone, they'll get motion sickness. Well, so it's also, if anything, that would be a deterrent. It's also that there'll be the fact that they'll fire four shots and then think, oh, wait, I need to put another quarter in or they need to take their foot <laughs> off the pedal to hide. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's 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 a bunch of bullshit. Like I said, you know, Marilyn Manson wasn't to blame for Columbine. South Park wasn't to blame for Columbine. Video games aren't to blame for this. Uh, you know, it's do do better if you want to actually try and solve these kinds of problems maybe look at the guns i don't like i would think it would take a pretty concerted effort just to take a disc copy of call of duty and use that to kill a bunch of people uh as opposed to an automatic or semi-automatic rifle um but again this isn't a politics program so i won't i won't get into that but suffice to say video games aren't the problem here no um i mean hot take hot take. yeah yeah exactly yeah like but, you know, with the amount of people who play video games or particularly play like Call of Duty, if uh, if games with guns as, as an important mechanic were turning people into mass shooters all the time, we would have a much larger problem on our hands. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, so, yeah. if all out of this, if we get like a half decent Marilyn Manson album again, I'll be fine with that. <laughs> I think that is a a little too much to ask, Mark. Because I quite I think... like I quite liked Hollywood, and I was I, like, mechanical animals is a bit weird with the fake tits. I, but... I, I think at this point we have more uh, hope of the Second Amendment being repealed. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, that's that issue. We'll we'll keep tracking it. There's supposed to be some summit with video, uh, as Mark alluded to, with video game professionals and. Um, uh, and and the president coming up so we'll keep an eye to if that materializes on what absolute gems of quotes come out of that meeting uh but moving on anyway um in oh that might be cool on switch news this week diablo 3 <laughs> uh is coming to nintendo switch and this is probably for that uh niche kind of percentage of people who play the switch who were really happy about dark souls coming to the switch and things like that are you a Diablo guy? Were you ever a Diablo guy, Mark? No. Yeah, I, I, 
I can't remember if it was Diablo 1 or Diablo 2. I played a little bit on my, my cousin's PC and I really enjoyed it. Um, but like I was a kid at the time. Um, not really a big player, but it, Diablo 3, people really loved it. People were playing that on PlayStation for, for fucking ages, from what I recall. Um, so again, it's another cool. I am, as we'll talk about later in the program in the book club, uh, I'm cool when any big game, even if it's like a few years old at this point it's still a huge game if it comes to switch i'm all for it Uh, and it it indicates that people actually want to get on this platform because it's growing and and it's selling hardware yeah yeah i just i mean like we we joke about hey this game should really be on the switch that game should be really be on the switch i can't say that diablo 3 was ever one that i'd thought about but there's an audience for it and uh nintendo are happy enough to green light it so sure whatever. And, if, and, if, and if they can make it work on switch yeah yeah well yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> moving on for the latest at star wars battlefront 2 and this is a pretty funny one i thought uh this comes from eurogamer those cheeky chewbaccas a modder from the star wars battlefront 2 community has turned ea's infamous and record-breakingly downvoted reddit remark about locked heroes and the loot box jure in general into a loot box skin the reddit remark came in response to iconic character darth vader being locked in the full price game at launch the comment uh someone asked uh seriously i paid 80 dollars to have vader locked uh, and the response was the intent is to provide players with a sense of pride and accomplishment for unlocking different heroes after the floodgates opened to date the response has downvote had been downvoted more than 670,000 times uh, a reminder that that is yes the single most downvoted comment in the history of reddit uh, it's this pride and accomplishment motto from that response that modder uh, Dari Devoki has applied in nice Star Wars film crawl style lettering to the actual loot boxes themselves in his PC <laughs> mod. So uh, now if you download the mod and you're in the PC game and you get any of the loot boxes, it will now have a nice, lovely pride and accomplishment sticker on the front. Oh, the sweet poetry of it all. Um, it's funny how that that kind of thing has pretty much gone quiet now, Mark. Um people are like they're not still open arms but i think the player base has kind of either just learned to live with it or a lot of them by the sense of how the sales are doing and how many of them i i see just anecdotally like when i walk into shops and see how many copies there already are second hand to buy um it seems that a lot of the player base already got fed up and left um yeah i like we saw the backlash that came afterwards and it was definitely at that point that people were going to make a conscious decision whether they wanted to continue supporting this. Um, because from all accounts and purposes, what I hear is the actual kind of core content of the game is enjoyable to play. Um, and if you can deal with the fact that there are loot boxes um, and you're not interested in using them and you just want to play the game, then sure, you know, knock yourselves out. Um, this is definitely a case where, uh, and we say this a lot, where consumers have the choice by uh, voting with their wallet whether they want to support something Um, I think that is definitely something that's happened here Um, and yeah uh, you know I always enjoy when uh, people use their talents to to put funny shit like this together and um, we keep saying that the the key thing out of this is do EA learn from this Um, we saw that UFC 3 still had 
its fair share of microtransaction type mm-hmm. content. Um, we'll see if other publishers take heed of this. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just I I zoned out of. Uh, EA and all of this nonsense soon after because it just yeah. doesn't really interest me. Like uh, loot boxes in general, the whole thing doesn't really interest me because I know that if a game is riddled with them, I'm not going to play them, and yeah. that's it. You know, and I don't lose any more sleep over it. Mm. Um, you know, if if a publisher wants to go ahead and just ram a game full of loot boxes, like fucking go for it. Go go as mad as you want, um, and you know deal with the consequences afterwards. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things to see as a response to how it was going is um, the amount of games now that are using the fact that they don't have loot boxes and don't plan to as a PR boost for a game coming out. Um, What was the one? There was one that did it around the same time as Star Wars. It was Wolfenstein. Uh, Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus, had an ad about how they don't have any uh, loot boxes or DLC or even a multiplayer mode. Um, which was a heavy shot at EA at the time, who were loot box central and declaring that the single player game was dead. Uh, and now also we had, uh, I don't think I included it in the headlines this week, but uh, God of War or Dad of War uh, that's coming out in a couple of months. Uh, that announced today, even though I don't know where they would fit it in, but they announced today kind of almost to go, hey, we're, we're coming out and this is an easy thing to get people to write news stories about. We have no intention of putting loot boxes in our game. Um, so at least it seems that, you know, maybe not for the, the big three of, um, Activision Blizzard, uh, EA and, um, take two, uh, we, I, I don't know if any of them will take the message of Star Wars, uh, going forward and kind of ease back on the loot boxes or at least rethink how they're done. But, uh, certainly other developers are taking note that's for sure uh which is at least refreshing that maybe it won't be in every single game that we purchase going forward at least uh moving on now speaking of nintendo uh this was cool and this was something i only noticed uh last night when i was uh, perusing the eShop on my switch as i so often do um they have finally so since the nintendo switch came out if you get a physical copy of a game you can register that game much as you did with the wii u except instead of a really complicated process involving sign-ins and and uh a like a an almost like a scratch card inside your box and putting in the really long code in this it's just you click one button and it registers the game to you and you get some points uh, well, finally, the kind of you can reap the rewards of the points as those points will directly now translate into discounts off games. Um, Good work, Nintendo. Yeah, Nintendo Switch owners will finally be able to redeem My Nintendo Gold points against eShop purchases starting in early March. Uh, the My Nintendo scheme doles out gold points whenever you make a digital purchase on the eShop. Oh, so di- digital purchase as well. You get 5% of the value back in gold points when buying a Nintendo Switch 3DS or Wii U game or even Switch DLC. Each gold point is worth 1p in the UK or 1 euro cent. So spend £40 and you'll get 200 gold points, which is then worth £2 off your next purchase. Gold points expire after 12 months at the end of the subsequent month. So if you bought some games, games at launch and you bought your switch when it came out 
uh, your first few points are about to become irrelevant. So check on that eShop uh, quite soon. Uh, My Nintendo also offers platinum points, which can be earned and spent within games on in-game items and rewards. So that was cool. This week, I noticed that uh, Bayonetta 2 was reduced already on the Euro store from, I think it was 49.99 down to 30 euro. And then with the points that I have amassed, and it would make sense that digital purchases were added to that because no way have I bought enough physical games to get this much of a discount. But I was down to somewhere around the 23 euro mark. Good work. Um, so that was pretty cool. Like, you know, getting to pick up a 50 euro game for 23 euro is awesome. Now, I know, obviously, part of that is the fact that... the something that i really do love about the switch is that there are there is an aggressive amount of sales on that console um like every week there's new stuff going on sale for a little while and and usually every couple of weeks something you will actually genuinely want will be among those sale items so that that's pretty cool and yeah uh, because did you ever redeem your points for anything uh on the wii u out of that club nintendo um i to be honest the way that that was set up i never really paid attention to it <laughs> so no i don't think i did yeah i redeemed i got a what's i get i got like a little drawstring bag like a tiny one i can't even remember what it's supposed to hold like maybe it's about the size of a controller so maybe that's what it's for the pro controller for the wii u because i just wanted to see what would happen you know like i had enough points and i was like let's see what the hell is on this dumb shop and it was it like none of the stuff was any good on it there was a couple of things that were like you'll never in your wildest dreams you bought every game that came out on the wii u would you ever get enough points for this or that um so yeah this is a much better use like directly converting the points into money off games and hey it also incentivizes people to buy more games so you know that's pretty good well done there nintendo as you said uh this is pretty wild every time i read sales stats about this game it's still funny to me uh, across 2017 uh gta 5 sold another 1 million copies just in the uk uh, and I think, Mark, it's that time of the show, pretty much every week, where we ask, how are there still people that don't own this game? Um, well, it's it's all those foreigners coming in. That's what it is. <laughs> Captain Brexit here. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how the game is still selling, um, other than the it fact came that... Out, it came out four and a half years it's, ago. It, I mean, we say it every time that because the PS4 is still selling, that one of the games that obviously is being purchased mm. with people that are buying a PS4, it has to be GTA V. That's the only, uh, it's the only thing that makes sense. The only thing that seems like a reasonable um, uh, answer for why this is the, 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 the fact that it keeps selling. Um, yeah. And... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know what you want to say. Like, we've had this yeah. conversation about this game so many times now. It sold another million copies. It, oh, my God. It, at the moment, it's at... Now, this isn't copies sold necessarily. This copies shipped to shops. So it will be a little bit less than this, the final figure. But there have been over 90 million copies shipped to retail stores around the world. Um, and if you're in retail stores, like if it's not a new game, they don't keep a huge amount of copies of it at any one time. So I would say almost all of that 90 million is already sold. Uh, like it'll be in the 80 million a kind of bracket. Um, so that is it, it's absolutely wild. Um, and I'm very, very curious this year. And I think we said it before on the show just to see how Red Dead does. Um 
because it's not it, it like it's great and Red Dead Redemption is one of the most beloved if not the most beloved game of the previous generation um but it's not GTA at the same time you know GTA is a juggernaut in the way that pretty much nothing else is yeah but um, well the thing with um with Red Dead is what do they do in terms of online well they do they do they we've no details but there will be a red dead online with this game yeah i mean there there has to be because the simple fact is that what has kept gta 5 going all this time obviously is the fact that it's online uh mode is just it's just a continuous red hot uh mode basically and um if red dead wants to meet that level it's gonna have to have obviously not a carbon copy of um what the gta 5 online mode is but certainly to incorporate some of those features into a western style setting uh, i certainly imagine that with what looks to be the case with Red Dead, where you're gonna have this gang that you run around with, I imagine they'll certainly be doing like I can see like a five-on-five Western shootout where you're all running around on horses. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so you know, I can see horse races. Oh, oh see, yeah. I can see um, like bounty hunts. Like you know, uh, there's a map and there's like you know say 12 players on it and you have to try and find the person who who there's a bounty out for and return them dead or alive and then kind of like as soon as somebody else catches the guy you can either try and you know take the guy off the person who has him or you can shoot them dead and ruin their bounty um i i can see all sorts of different modes you know like even stuff that they did in the 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 last red Dead, like where people can play poker or you could play you know any number of things um i'm sure uh you know if there's anyone i'd trust to come up with a bunch of diverse multiplayer modes keep people interested that's rockstar so uh that's still the most i i, I think i could say the most universally anticipated game of the year um so let, let let's see how it goes um moving on this was one i only saw just as we were about to come on um regarding oculus rift we haven't heard a lot about oculus rift in a while things have kind of gone quiet on the vr front in terms of uh news stories but for well, oculus I, rift I that's probably it, better because anytime yeah. they were making headlines in the last couple of years it wasn't <laughs> great yeah um they're too busy trying to employ people that aren't under any sort of uh investigation investigation yeah Indeed. Uh, Oculus Rift headsets around the globe have reportedly stopped working in unison, thanks to an apparent technical oversight on Oculus's part. It's the Millennium Bug. It's finally uh, happening. In- indeed. Uh, reports from VR users uh, across numerous websites and forums began to mount earlier today, all claiming that the Oculus client was no longer launching applications, or indeed not launching at all, and was instead returning error messages such as can't reach Oculus runtime service or fail to initialize with Oculus signature invalid in lieu of official word from oculus the vr community as reported by vr focus which is a website uh, took it upon itself to isolate the cause of the problem soon the culprit was found a .dll file called oculus app framework this it turned out contains an expired security certificate preventing the oculus client from doing its thing Oculus has now addressed the issue on its official Twitter page, noting that we're aware of an issue impacting people's ability to use the Rift software, uh, 
and we're working to fix the problem. Thank you for your patience. There's currently no estimated resolution time, but some users have identified a temporary workaround. It's possible to bypass the issue by disabling Windows automatically set system time and date option, then manually setting the date back a few days. It's necessary to restart Oculus runtime service once done too. Uh, note, however, this may cause problems with services like Windows automatic updates. So this is a bit of a clusterfuck. Um, a real kind of basic admin thing of noticing when your security certificates are going to expire on Oculus's part and forcing down an update to make sure that doesn't crash a bunch of headsets. Um, and they've, yeah, they've completely fumbled it here. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Lol. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because it's not a huge story, which makes me think that just like I'd love to get estimates on how big and active the the VR community across the different like between the the Oculus, the Vive, and the the PSVR are now. Um, I know there was what was the name of that? There was some game came out on PSVR last week. Is it Moss? The one where you with the mouse? That's apparently the first proper really really good psvr game uh that doesn't exist anywhere else or at least that it kind of um got big on psvr first um but still it's it's very much a a niche within a niche uh the vr community i would venture to guess but it's also the cause of um uh school shootings in america all of them every single one of them even before vr existed uh very few people know that um (laughs) Mark, it wouldn't be a podcast if we weren't immediately about to miss some Nintendo news. Um, And we're recording this Wednesday night, 10 a.m. Thursday morning. There is going to be, uh, that's UK time, there is going to be a Nintendo Direct. Uh, It will last 30 minutes and the stream will feature some new announcements on Nintendo Switch software, including Mario Tennis Aces and some games for 3DS. Um, It's... um, is there anything you're, you're expecting from this? Uh, is it a little bit surprising that they're still pushing some new unannounced titles for 3DS? Um, well, the, the, I haven't looked at the figures recently, but I mean, I would presume that the 3DS is still selling to some degree in Japan, mm. probably, yeah. I guess. Um, and, you know, as what well, as long as they're still... Well, I mean, Monster Hunter is now elsewhere, but, like, as long as, um... Like, there's some Phoenix Riot or any Pokemon content to be released, that, that thing is still going to ship mm. units. So, I'm not entirely surprised. I imagine that within the next year or two, they'll, um... Start kind of scaling down the 3ds operations i'd yeah, say that's likely like, you'll get a phoenix right game showing up on switch and yeah that's going to be the thing when you start seeing those big 3ds titles start to appear on the switch that is going to be the sign that okay right yeah this, mm. this is becoming like a, a mergers a merger of sorts between the, the yeah. two uh some some of the things that there uh, people here at Eurogamer are expecting to possibly see uh, we got Hyrule Warriors, which is coming out sometime in the spring. Um, we've got Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze, which is due out the 4th of May. I'm very much looking forward to that port. Um, and Kirby Star Allies, which is actually out next week. And we didn't mention it in playing this week, but both of us had have a chance to play that. Uh, Mark, what did you think of the, the first two levels of Kirby Star Allies? Um, kind of what I do with most Kirby games, where it's like, yeah, this is cool, but I'm never going to play it. 
Um, I I have never really understood the Kirby thing. Uh, every time I played a Kirby game, other than the one that I actually bought, which was uh, the Rainbow Curse, Rainbow Curse, which I thought was a perfectly serviceable but entirely forgettable platforming game. Mm. Every other Kirby game that I've ever played from the NES onwards, I, after about 10 minutes, I'm like, yeah, okay, I got this. I, I get what this is, and yeah. I'm not compelled to go any further with it. Yeah, I like some of them. Uh, I liked Kirby Triple Deluxe on three, uh, 3DS. Um, I liked Canvas Curse. Uh, a little bit of that I played. Um, and I, I've liked some of the older games in the past. Um, and yeah, I, I get what you mean. I, Something about um, the kind of the the forced co-op with the CPU on this, I wasn't wild about. Like, I get what they're going for with this mechanic with the Star Allies. Um, But part of me was just like, I just like to explore alone with Kirby rather than have kind of this merry band of idiots uh, behind me at any one time. Um, but it looks nice, you know. The the Kirby games are are usually very well designed uh, from an artistic point of view, um, and they're very charming. And uh, this this is no exception to that. It definitely doesn't feel as I don't know. There was something about that Rainbow Curse game that just felt like even more of a kind of bland effort than some of the other entries in the series um and this seems a little bit more like it has an idea for something but whether it's kind of one of those half-baked ideas or not it's hard to tell based on one tutorial level and one proper level um i did enjoy that boss battle with king day Day though um that was that was kind of a little bit fun not challenging in any respect but those kirby games i don't really expect them to be challenging um i'm more looking forward to yoshi coming out this year because he's my boy uh but uh yeah and i don't know about anything else showing up like nintendo always has one or two curveballs coming out in these directs that you wouldn't be expecting um the the person writing this article is speculating that maybe we'll get some word on some actual dlc rather than just a kind of an extra mini game for mario odyssey not so sure about that um i think if there's anything coming with with a big kind of dlc for odyssey i would think if we're already three months into the year unless they have a really sparse summer release schedule that they'd wait until e3 to talk about that if they if it even exists which i um i I would very much doubt but uh yeah that's the nintendo direct and by the time you're all listening to this everybody already knows what the news is so we probably look like massive idiots anyway (laughs) This was kind of a little bit of a surprising one, uh, although in some respects, when you consider how big the community is, maybe not so much. Uh, Monster Hunter World, which recently released, is now officially Capcom's best-selling game of all time. Uh, Monster Hunter World has become the best-selling Capcom game in its 38-year history, beating every Resident Evil, Mega Man, Dead Rising, and Street Fighter game ever made. Uh, Capcom announced this morning it has now shipped 7.5 million copies of its beastie-bashing role-player, a figure that tots up physical units sold to retailers as well as digital downloads. Uh, World launched at the end of January for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, meaning it has reached the sales milestone in just five weeks. 
uh, with the PC version still to launch in autumn 2018. Uh, Monster Hunter has been around the world since the early days of the PlayStation 2, but has, until now at least, mainly found its success in Japan. The aptly titled world, however, appears to have bucked that trend. Now, Mark, we're not really Monster Hunter guys on this show. No. Uh, have you ever have you ever tried to get into a Monster Hunter nope, game, or is just never kinda... played one? Just completely so, passed me by. So I got uh, my cousin gave me Monster Hunter. I want to say four on the 3DS. Don't crucify me, Monster Hunter fans. If I got that wrong, but whatever the most recent 3DS one was, he gave me that. And for me, especially in a post, because my um, my view on the the kind of um, the the role playing game and the kind of deep immersive kind of role playing game very much changed after I encountered The Witcher. So in in, in a post Witcher version of me, I I was definitely interested in the world of Monster Hunter. I I like the world, but to me, and it's what everyone will tell you, it's not a series that is friendly to the newcomer. Um, the amount of systems that are like the amount of plates that you're spinning at any one time in that game, uh, the the controls for the game, the fact that every like it's cool if you're on the inside of these games and you're already sold and you're already familiar, but the idea that like every single weapon controls massively differently and you have to learn different control schemes for every single weapon of which there is many um is just it's a real barrier to entry for new people which is why i suppose it's particularly amazing that uh this entry although monster hunter fans say it's the most accessible one so far although that is that is uh, you know it it doesn't take much to be even marginally more accessible than some of the other entries in the franchise but uh yeah, I, I just, it's surprising that it is, it is Capcom's highest selling game of all time when pretty much any of those other games that I mentioned there in that list, like Street Fighter, Resident Evil, Mega Man, Dead Rising, all of those are games that, you know, interested or not, you can pick them up and play them. You know, even Street Fighter, I know there's a high level of skill to Street Fighter, but you could have some basic fun at Street Fighter, even if you don't really know what you're doing. Um... <laughs> But yeah, the the fact that this really complicated niche game is the highest selling Capcom game of all time is kind of wild, isn't it? Um, I mean, I imagine there is a, a large um, monster hunter base that just haven't had the chance to to play one for for a number of years now. So um... I remember it was it was big news when they headed back to PlayStation for Monster Hunter World because they'd been away on Nintendo for so long. Yeah, so I I feel that. That is part of it, um, and the fact that the PS4 has the the platform base that it does. Um, so no, I'm not surprised actually. Um, and from everything <laughs> I've I've heard, is that it's it's awesome. So um, no, well done, Capcom. You know, they've had a a pretty pretty good uh, twelve to thirteen months with uh, Resident Evil, and now this. So uh, yeah. yeah, fair play to them. God, that Resident Evil Seven is so good, <laughs> so good. Um. This is a kind of wild... It's only a small little story to round off the news here. Uh, But CD Projekt Red, though they haven't confirmed it, and uh, neither have the developers uh, of Soul Calibur, but it looks like Geralt of Rivia, the protagonist of the Witcher series, is going to be in Soul Calibur 6. 
Soul Calibur is a series, Mark, that's that's known for having a weird kind of out of left field licensed character appear from time to time. Um, Link was in was it Soul Calibur two. Oh God, I was having this conversation the other day because there was Link. Um, the uh, Yoda was in one. Um, fuck, was Yoshimitsu in one? I can't remember. I know that because they had there was a there was a Soul Calibur game that appeared on I want to say the GameCube, the PS2. So, so Vader was in it, was in one. Yoda was in one. Uh, Ezio from Assassin's Creed was in one. I don't remember that. Spawn was in one. Yes, Spawn. Yes, I remember that. That God, was God. Do you remember? Remember the nineties? <laughs> <laughs> That's Spawn is the ultimate. Remember the nineties, like when everyone thought like Todd McFarlane was just this genius. Um, yeah, Heihachi was in one. Uh, An Apprentice Jedi was in one. Devil Jin, Kratos was in one. Um, yeah, that's like, and and now it looks like we're going to add Geralt of Rivia, which is really like. I suppose it's no stranger than Darth Vader, but it, something about that world of the Witcher, it's just very bizarre to me that he would be in a fighting game. But, you know, here we are, I suppose. It's, it's 2018, strange things have Yeah, stranger things have happened at this point, yeah. really. So. Absolutely. I suppose, yeah. Like when we got a... It's been, what, two video game... Two console generations since we had Solid Snake and Smash Brothers, which is probably orders of magnitude stranger but what will um what will his winning victory be will he just bang someone on the back of a unicorn probably probably we can only hope we can only hope my friend um that's the end of the news for this week let us move now into the book club where we talk about uh an important game from the past that you should play for the first time uh if you haven't before or you should play again if it's been a while we're doing things a little bit differently this week rather than focus on an individual game we're actually going to talk about a console uh the the comeback kid as i said in the intro to the show the book club this week is the first year of the nintendo switch Switch 
is the seventh major video game console developed by Nintendo. Known in development by its codename NX, it was unveiled in October 2016. Wow, it doesn't feel like that long ago. (laughs) And was released worldwide on March 3rd, 2017. Nintendo considers the Switch a hybrid console. It is designed primarily as a home console, with the main unit being inserted into a docking station to connect to a television. Alternatively, it can be removed from the dock and used similarly to a tablet computer through its LCD touchscreen or placed in a standalone tabletop mode visible to several players. The Nintendo Switch uses the wireless Joy-Con controllers, which include standard buttons and directional analog sticks for user input, motion sensing, and high-definition tactile feedback. The Joy-Con can attach to both sides of the console to support handheld-style play, connect to a grip accessory to provide a traditional home console gamepad form, or be used individually uh, in each hand like the Wii Remote and Nunchuck supporting local multiplayer modes. Mark, let's try and cast our mind back to that October 2016 Direct, uh, the press conference. Uh, it, w- it was definitely closer to an E3 press conference than pretty much anything I'd seen Nintendo do in a long time. Um, and it was the the big reveal of what we'd been calling, and I think we had been hearing about it pretty much since we started the show since we started this podcast we've heard of this this hybrid nx project i believe um the initial leak came from um well two initial leaks there was a Eurogamer leak and then uh laura kate dale got uh, a huge amount of detail on the switch almost all of which turned out to be a hundred percent on the money um and we were hearing all this sort of stuff about, you know, the, this whatever this console is going to be, it's going to be both uh, a portable console and a home console. And we're like, how the fuck is that going to work? Um, what did you think the first time uh, you saw the, the Switch during this press conference, the reveal of the Switch? Um, I thought, ah, oh, they finally fixed the Wii U. Yeah, I think that was a lot of people's immediate thought is that, wow, the Wii U kind of like, we can now almost reframe the the bomb that was the Wii U as like a five year extended tech test for for the Switch technology. Like it definitely, once you play the Switch and you think about the Switch for a while, you think they couldn't have gotten to the Switch without going through the Wii U. Um, I, I also sh- I also thought that I'm never going to play this in a basketball court, so they're definitely not tailoring it to yes. my interests. Indeed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you think about the Nintendo of the time, and I don't think like I think if I recall correctly, the two of us were excited, but not necessarily optimistic, um, because even though you know it was clearly like uh, we can say now with the benefit of hindsight, oh, they've learned the mistakes of the Wii U. At the time, this was a Nintendo that was coming off, like I said, the guts of five years of really beating a dead horse on that Wii U. And it was just much like Fetch. It was never going to happen. Um, I I was very tentative about it. I, like, I knew I'm a Nintendo guy. You're a Nintendo guy. We were both going to get this console because we're stupid. <laughs> uh, regardless, like, they could have... Passionate fans of the medium, Dave. Come on now. They could have come out and said, this console sells drugs to kids. And you and I would have been like, well, I'm going to get it. Um, But yeah, so we had this. It it was at times a very surreal press conference, if you recall. Because I think this was the one that had 
the really long uh, Splatoon 2 sequence that had the guy in the lab coat and them talking about Splatoon in a very serious sort of way uh, as if they had been like R&Ding actual weapons and it was it was very Nintendo the whole thing my going back now the the first thing i probably remember other than the bit where they were playing the switch in the basketball court and playing uh-huh. it on the, the rooftop party um the first thing that i remember clearly was the footage of breath of the wild and now, l- we, we we had seen some of that and thought it was going to be on the wii u yeah uh, but we hadn't actually seen in-game footage of it um but like seeing that bit where he walks up um and looks out to the vantage point of of Hyrule. Um, seeing that uh, just blew me away, and my mind was like, "Wait, this is going to be on a handheld device. This this is a Switch. This this or this Project NX. This is a handheld device, as far as I'm aware." Like, I don't think they'd properly really convey the idea that okay, this is not like the evolution of the 3ds this is actually a a home console but it plays like a handheld console as well like i think everyone everyone expected the wii u to be what the switch is but i still don't think when the switch actually came out as what we wanted the wii u to be i still don't think people fully expected the switch to be what it ended up actually being um yeah because i still thought i still thought there would be limitations that yeah, I there. think like I think in our heads at the time because of like now granted the 3DS it, you know there are some games on that that look damn fine but I, I think in our head we couldn't get the idea that the technology existed to get console quality games on a handheld in in terms of both scale and visual fidelity um and the, the the trick they had was this uh, the the nvidia chip that they use kind of has a an almost like a boost mode so when it's in um when it's in its dock connected to the tv it kind of kicks into a higher gear so it's able to you know make things look better on a big screen whereas obviously you don't need that kind of processing power on a smaller screen because the 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 just compressed you don't need to see like it, it in such kind of startling detail um but i'm just looking back some of the the, the press conference here as we're talking and we had the the reveal of one two switch which was very much from uh inception to execution as we're trying to do wii sports again um and that was the point i think in the press conference that had me most worried uh, because I was like, Nintendo are at their best when they're coming up with original things and not plumbing the kind of the, the you know, trying to redo what they'd already done. But then, yeah, as we got to kind of Splatoon Two looked cool, the Splat Doolies looked cool. We had the reveal that Skyrim was going to be coming, um, and that's this is when we found out as well what Super that Super Mario Odyssey was called Super Mario Odyssey. Um, we had as well. Uh, an interesting bait and switch because if you remember mark right up until this press conference we thought it was a mortal lock that mario was coming out with the the switch or the nx and zelda was coming at christmas that was what everyone had been told that's what everybody understood but at some point in proceedings i think more stuff needed to be added to mario or they just weren't quite happy with mario yet um so we had the reveal of super 
Super Mario Odyssey of the halfway through this press conference and it said it was coming out holiday 2017 and I started to worry a little bit at that point because I was like oh god nothing is coming out on this thing at launch have they learned nothing from the Wii U yeah uh, but then I, I believe it did the the whole thing the, the thing ended with the first proper gameplay and cinematic trailer for Breath of the Wild and that was announced as day and date with the console and oh my god I flipped the fuck out at the idea like it's a bit sad that I wasn't going to get to play Mario at launch but you tell me that I can play a Zelda game about nine months earlier than I thought I was gonna and I'm a happy boy but here's the thing keep this in mind right so only what like at the time that they announced the Switch, um, Nintendo weren't exactly in the strongest position, uh, and we've mentioned this a number of times before that the Wii U was just a bomb in so many ways. Other than its uh, its actual library of games, because um, even though it's it's a small library of games, the Wii U has a fucking phenomenal. Um, list of games like you can go through with Mario Maker, Mario, uh, Mario Kart 8, um, Smash, Smash, uh, Donkey Bayonetta Kong Tropical Series, Bayonetta 2, uh, Wonderful 101, you know you can go down the, the list of games and I probably missed a whole bunch but the simple fact is just it didn't sell because no one to the casual audience they just didn't understand what it was and even some people hardcore gamers didn't really understand what it was. Um, and the ones that did buy it didn't get what they thought they were going to get. Um, so Nintendo were in um, in a bad way, and you know Sony were flying ahead with the, the PS4, um, and Microsoft was still still coming off the back of the 360, the Xbox One. Yeah. You know there were the teething issues, but hey, still they were in a they still had the Xbox yeah. 360 yeah. in their back pocket. Yeah, Microsoft, like, the the we slag off the Xbox One sometimes, but the Xbox One, at every point in its life cycle, has been outselling and outpacing where the 360 was. It's only for the fact that the PS4 is so dominant. But, it, like, if it weren't for the PS4, we would consider the Xbox One a tremendous sales success. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we we had this weird console, this this NX that much like the Wii U was coming out about halfway through a console cycle, and we knew from day one that the specs on it weren't going to be up to scratch with uh, the power of the PS4 and the Xbox One. But again, as two of the only people I, I've I've known. Uh, to have owned a Wii U uh, we knew from being Wii U players and buying the first party games that Nintendo are magicians at getting the most they can out of the the limited power they have and some of those games on the Wii U to this day still look incredible well I think um, it's that and also we have known for the longest time that okay yes Nintendo will never match Microsoft and Sony when it comes to sheer graphical power but Yep. They still have a way of making their games look incredible, and mm-hmm. the, the focus is always more on the gameplay than the actual graphical abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nintendo have always, and will, as far as I can see, will always um, focus on gameplay before anything else. Yeah. So the the launch day comes around then, and the launch lineup for us in uh, Europe and North America was as follows: we had one two switch. 
Just Dance 2017, Skylanders, Imaginators. Um, those are kind of your three sort of young people or party games. Then we had Super Bomberman R, which got very mixed reviews when it came out uh, because of its performance issues. Seemingly, if you go to it now, it's fine, but it's just a bit overpriced for like a very limited Bomberman game. We had I Am Setsuna, which was a port of a, a small um, Japanese game that had been on PS4 already at that point. Uh, Shovel Knight Treasure Trove, uh, Shovel Knight Spectre of Torment, Fast Remix, which is a port of Fast Racing Neo from the Wii U, which I was a big fan of, as you may recall. And then the two games that I want to talk about here, um, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild and Snipperclips. Let's talk about Snipperclips first, Mark. Um, I think this is the far superior teach players how to use the Joy-Con game compared to 1-2-Switch? Um, I think it's a more enjoyable experience than the 1-2-Switch. Yeah. Uh, and it's less of a novelty gimmick type experience. And it's a hell of a lot cheaper. Yeah. It's a really nice game style-wise. The, the music is very, is, is just very happy, smiley kind of stuff. It's it's accessible for all the family. You can pick it up and learn how to play it straight away. There's good kind of cooperative puzzle solving in it, and again, it teaches you how to use. One of the the big appeals of it is that in desktop mode, you can take off each Joy-Con hand one Joy-Con to one person and one to the other, and then you can have a two-player game even though you don't own two controllers per se. Um, so I, I always thought Snipper Clips was it really... Because like, some of those one-two Switch games, a couple of them are really fun. I, I've played it a little bit. My cousins actually quite like one-two Switch. Um, I really like the Quick Draw game. Um, I was surprised by how how well the uh, guess how many cubes of ice are in your glass game goes uh, the the HD rumble which is one thing that they pointed out in the reveal press conference I was like what the fuck is this but it, hey it works um, but yeah I, I think snipper clips was the superior kind of oh get to use these new weird looking controllers uh, and figure them out for yourself and then Mark Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what we can say that we haven't already said about. Yeah, Breath we're of the we're not we're we're not getting into depth on it here, but <laughs> um, one of the, I I think I think I could say one of the best Zelda games ever made. I'll go with that. Um, I I it's in my personal top three, I believe. Um, I it's a phenomenal game. It it kind of it, for me it has redefined the open world experience. Um, and really buckled my experience with Horizon Zero Dawn that came out around the same time mm -hmm. as we talked about on the show mm -hmm. last week. Um, it, just a fast... To this day, I still c c dip in and out of the game. I think I'm past 130 hours in that game now uh, with the, the DLC now downloaded, and I've contemplated doing a new game plus on it um, to, to kind of explore that world again from scratch. Um, and it's just amazing that that game is is on that tiny little cartridge, you know. Yeah, it's on that tiny little cartridge. It's um, it, the world is that huge. There are no loads in between areas and the outer world. There, are, like, there's one 
uh, loading screen when you boot up the game the first time, and then there are short loading screens when you go into the shrines uh, or into the Divine Beasts. But otherwise, it's a seamless, like, if you... I think you said it when we talked about it on Game of the Year. It's like it, one of the joys of that game is you see a mountain miles away in the distance and you can walk straight for that mountain and climb everything in the meantime and get up on top of that mountain and there won't be any loading screen at all. No. Um, there will be lots of things that will kill you on the way. Yes. Oh, boy. Yeah. But uh, that that's kind of... Um, enough about Zelda because we could gush about that for a long long time but uh I, I'm trying to think back to when I got it in in the packaging it's it's always a very exciting time to get a new console and dig about it at first there was a little bit of uh concern uh if you'll recall because there was the tracking issue with the right Joy-Con at first uh where it would desync if you were blocking the IR receiver on the right Joy-Con but that was then later patched out uh, i think most people um that that issue does not occur anymore thankfully thanks to whatever patch they put in um but other than that i think the, the launch was was very successful and breath of the wild itself like the idea of a game that quality coming out at launch is kind of wild uh i don't remember a game of that kind of like next level quality coming out at launch with a console since maybe mario 64 mark um, I'd have to wreck my brains for for launch titles. Definitely, like, definitely nothing on the PS3. Um, yeah, like, like you could argue in terms of playability, Wii Sports. Yeah. But in terms of like how much effort went into making Wii Sports versus Breath of the Wild, I doubt there's any comparison at all. Yes. Um, the 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 key thing um from this though from the 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 launch day is that detractors were saying that, hey, look at what's here only at the moment, and look what has been announced for the rest of the the year. There's barely anything here. Um, you know, there's mm. not enough here to sustain a player base uh, up until, you know, like Super Mario Odyssey. Yeah. Uh, I definitely think that over the last 12 months that the detractors have been proven uh, fiercely wrong. Oh, my God. From... Uh, just numerous uh, announcements and uh, Nintendo Directs to just, oh, here's a fucking game that's dropped on the Nintendo Store that we weren't expecting, like Night in the Woods. But boom, there it is. Go, go and play it. Or, or last week, just Outlast just dropped. Yeah, just these ports just dropping out of nowhere. Week. Yeah, so it, what they have done is, uh, like you said, the, the Wii U, one of the many problems with the Wii U was that problem, that games were not coming out of it coming out on it and the third parties abandoned it very early so what you had was a a player base that was just migrating away from the console because they were starved for content the the first party games we talked about they came out on the wii u and they were fantastic all like almost every first party game that came out on that console was brilliant or every exclusive if we were to kind of broaden it and include wonderful 101 and bayonetta and that were, were great games However, there was nothing in between that was keeping people going. Very early on in the Switch's life, they whatever kind of third-party relations team they have uh, or whoever kind of is in charge of looking at the release schedule, what gets dropped on the eShop or gets a physical release, they masterminded this thing where there are a... a 
I would say an improved number, definitely, relative to the Wii U of actual first-party games coming out in the first place. But in addition to that, you have this kind of... There are ports and there are indie games and kind of like games that they're not quite indie in terms of their size, but they're kind of like just a mid-size game that wouldn't be a big kind of AAA release. There is such a stream of all those kinds of games coming out all the time there are weeks where over 20 games or around 20 games will come out on the switch eShop. you'll if you go a week or two weeks or three weeks without looking at the eShop, it will have changed wildly yeah um <laughs> and some of the ones that they that they picked or that they kind of uh courted to come onto their platform were really really smart ones both at kind of utilizing why people would like the switch uh, and also in terms of, oh, this is a game that people will just get completely lost in. And one of the ones that came out over last summer that I'm thinking of in particular is Stardew Valley. Yeah. Which is such a perfect, like in another era, that's uh, like a tentpole Super Nintendo release. You know what I mean? That's like, it has uh, there's something about Stardew Valley and a Nintendo console just feels right. And also one of the things about Stardew Valley is that it's such video game crack that you will be you will be you will spend tens and tens of hours in it like we had already sunk an embarrassing amount of hours between us into that game on pc and then it came out on switch and i think within a month i had put another 60 hours into it um so yeah there's something like stardew valley something like um even like uh, more recent puzzle games like the sexy brutal which is a big kind of cult hit of last year uh, i'm trying to think what are some of your other kind of uh indie faves that came out uh this year mark because we've both kind of uh splashed the cash on a few indies here or there so the most recent one ports. the most recent one obviously is celeste um yes which is a just a fabulous platformer um i've i've gushed over that for the last couple of weeks so i won't say too much more on that um oh trying to remember oh um, sonic mania i mean oh of course again <laughs> a game that feels completely at home on on this kind of console uh, more so than it did on like uh, a ps4 or what have you even though that's what i got sonic mania on um there was that, there was... Uh, I'm looking here, I have my Switch in front of me here and I've just opened it. So we had things like Thimbleweed Park, uh, a point-and-click adventure game, which is a kind of cool thing to be able to take uh, on the go. Both of us kind of, for a little while, got into Mighty Gunvolt Burst. I was very much into that. Um, obviously, Super Meat Boy got dropped uh, onto um, the Switch. Yeah. Um, one of my early faves on it not a it was a Sega release not an indie release but Puyo Puyo Tetris yep yep uh, was great for that console um, being able to take Puyo Puyo Tetris on the go and, and split the Joy-Cons and things like that awesome uh, one of the big ones of last year that, that we got into for a while was Golf Story definitely Golf Story uh, another perfect one for the that kind of uh, format uh, you had uh, Oxen Free on the Switch didn't you? Uh, I did I pick that up on the Switch? I can't see it here. I know I wanted to, but I, I don't think I have yet. 
but that's another game that would be absolutely perfect on the Switch. Uh, Picross S. Yep, absolutely. I got very much hooked into that for a few weeks. Um, just again, perfect game for the Switch for for what it is. Um, mm. Steam World Dig Two that I picked up uh, towards the end of last year. Uh, is excellent and they've announced that that's coming out on the, the 3DS and they've also announced that the original SteamWorld Dig is coming out on the Switch which is uh, mm. fantastic uh, then we've got uh, one of my favourite games of last year Dark Side Detective recently came out on there Owlboy recently came out on there Axiom Verge which is another perfect Switch game now the interesting thing about all of this though is that one of my fears, um, I spoke about this at the time and I've addressed it in regards to um, the more recent Nintendo consoles or handheld devices, is that they do not know how to organize an eShop correctly. Yeah. And the amazing thing about the Nintendo Switch eShop at this time is they actually haven't changed anything after a year. Uh, everything is still, it's all still in um release date order they haven't attempted to put it in, in in any kind of category or organize it in any way which they would end up probably fucking up because the wii u eShop is terrible the 3ds mm-hmm. eShop is still terrible i haven't played mine in a while so i don't know if they changed it but they have kept it as simplistic as simplistic can be with the nintendo switch which makes it um just by default, the best eShop out of the big three consoles at the moment, because yeah. the PS4 is still is okay, but it's still not preferable. And I mean, you've spoken at uh, ad nauseum about the uh, Xbox One and just how Fresh. how. Uh, but that's just a general the general user interface on yeah. that is terrible. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like sorting in order of release date is how I organize my PS4 store when I go looking for stuff. So it's awesome that's the default on this. Um, And all it really needs to decide for anybody who's ever used an eShop before are the tabs that they have, which are like current offers, your watch list, and a search bar. Um, Like, if you're going to add anything to that, and I would, like I said, I'd urge them not to because they'd probably fuck it up. But if you want to put like four bookmark tiles at the top of the store to go, oh, these are the hot new games. Um, oh, there's also a chart tab as well to show you what the best selling games at the moment are. But yeah, I, I think that the, in its simplicity and in the, the way they've been completely hands off with how it's done, I think that the eShop is, is great. Um, the, the, the memory issue on it was kind of resolved for me pretty much straight away because... Uh, the cost of my Switch plus uh, a massive SD card that I will probably never come close to filling uh, is still less than I'd pay for a competing console if I only had to pick one. Um, so I, I kind of, my, my worries about the, do you remember like even at the start, I think the, the Dragon Quest game that came out around the launch window was more than the internal memory of the Switch. Um, but the SD card slots in very easily into it, and then memory is no longer really an issue. Um, but then, like, you look at some of the tentpole stuff, and I'm just going to go at, like, the Nintendo stuff, uh, the first-party and exclusive stuff that, that I've gotten this year, not even some of the stuff that I haven't even been tempted by. Um, but you've got the likes of... I talk about Puyo Puyo Tetris, but you've got ARMS, which, again, we contend is very, very underrated. Uh, and and is great fun. Uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which is about as good a port of an already excellent game as you're likely to get with a 
massively revamped um fucking oh god i'm completely blanking what's the mode called hmm help me out on this the multiplayer mode in mario kart 8 balloons oh um well just balloon battle yeah yeah balloon battle that's it um so introducing that as opposed to just the kind of like driving around in an empty arena like just horrible uh multiplayer that some of those games have had in the past uh mario plus rabbits kingdom battle was one that you never <laughs> thought you needed in your life mark what the fuck right um <laughs> this is mario you know this is fucking this is mario and here's nintendo going here ubisoft just make a an xcom light game using mario and fucking rabbits of all things <laughs> the wildest thing about it right so it was wild enough that mario was there was a mario game being made by ubisoft and it was wild enough that that mario game was going to involve the rabbits which are very much the minions of video games that was all pretty crazy and then when it came out that like the genre like when you think of those things you think oh that'll be an entertaining party platformer or something like that and then it goes out like nope XCOM yeah I was like, like what <laughs> I had uh, like a, a kind of sneaking suspicion that it would have been some sort of as you mentioned kind of party platformer or like a a, a party game kind of mini uh, like a Mario Party sort of game but even like rabbits. I could even see if they went down the Kingdom Hearts route and had a very stripped down just turn-based RPG kind of I don't know I <laughs> like because I've seen Kingdom Hearts that wouldn't have been as much of a surprise I suppose but that actually sounds just as mental yeah but XCOM Mario is, is kind of wild and like the first time you see that picture of Yoshi with a bazooka it changes you um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and some of the stuff I believe one of the the possibilities for character of the year for us last year would have been uh, Rabid Peach. Um, Rabid Peach, but also Donkey Kong Rabid as well. Um, yeah. Who just wanted those damn bananas? Yeah, that game. I how how that came to be? What <laughs> fucking smoke filled room that came out of to put that together? Uh, I. I will never know. Um, but God bless it. God bless that it exists. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles Two came out, which is another excellent uh, install uh, installment in the Xenoblade series. Uh, looking through this list here again, Bayonetta One and Two recently got ports, uh, and then I think the the other one that we need to talk about in terms of big first party releases is Super Mario Odyssey, which came out just in time for Christmas last year. And oh my word, what a joyous experience that was, Mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I we've we've talked about it a lot on the show, but again, it's just it's a, it's a truly joyous and accessible platformer that just in a year last year where people really needed to smile <laughs> it was the perfect game it was really that time. that sold you for it as game of the year when jack said that wasn't it oh well well it was a deadlock as you'll recall like the one of the uh the things that really uh made us realize we had to do this show was when our game of the year ended in a tie mm. and both of the games were first party nintendo switch games uh, in Zelda and Mario Odyssey. But yeah, it, it was just... Now, granted, 
because of what Zelda means to me, I smiled more playing Zelda, just going, what the fuck? This is crazy. Um, but yeah, the Super Mario Odyssey is just, it, it's breathtaking and, and fun and, and fantastic. And again, all of these first party games are coming out and they're knocking it out of the park and they're all proven to be system sellers all year long, Mark. Uh, yep. Now, my uh, my thing to, to say to you is looking ahead. Um, mm. There's a few interesting things. Uh, we still don't have um, any kind of streaming platforms such as Netflix um, or the yep. uh, award-winning WWE Network. Huh? Um, now, I'm not going to to sit here and lie and say that I wouldn't be interested in having the network on my Switch. Um, how do you feel about the fact that we still don't have the Virtual Console? And how do you think that that's going to be implemented? Yeah, so, well, like, firstly, just to kind of uh, tag up on your thing about the streaming apps, uh, what I would say about that is I, I think that's far less of a deal-breaker than it was five years ago when I think there was a good chance that if you got a console with streaming apps on it, it was the first device you had in your home that had those on it now. But pretty much everybody now, either their TV or their Blu-ray player or their fucking phone or their tablet has Netflix and the network on it. So it's not really that crude. It's not going to turn into like, if it had Netflix, it wouldn't be like where people were buying Wii's just to have the Netflix app. Um, so I've never really bought into people's narrative that that's a, a real deal killer. I think maybe Twitch is something that's more of a kind of, yeah, you should have some sort of ability to stream your, your Nintendo games, although Nintendo are notoriously slow to catch up with. Well, the thing uh, is as well is we can confirm that um, your console being like a media box is not the biggest draw for players because the Xbox, the one, Xbox one tried yeah, to be yeah. that. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the virtual console, the thing about it is now for the first year, as we've said, the releases have been coming so thick and fast that I think, you know, there's a niche portion of switch owners that we are included in that would like the virtual console to have dropped months ago, just out of curiosity, if nothing else. But I think maybe towards the end of this year, when there are less first-party games. Because this year, really, we've got... So we've got Mario Tennis, we've got Kirby, we've got Yoshi. Um, reports are that Metroid Prime has slipped to 2019, which is not surprising. Um, now, obviously, there is going to be stuff that they're going to pull out of their backsides uh, at E3. Everyone's assuming there's going to be a, a port of Smash from the the, the last generation. Um, there's a lot of rumors that there's a new Mario Party on the way. So there, there will be first party games coming out. But as that starts to slow down or as there's kind of less uh, of the indies that you go, oh, that's a perfect Switch game coming out. Um, people are going to more and more people are going to start asking that question about the virtual console. Um, and we know that this Switch online service is uh, launching towards the end of the year. And I wonder, because that's going to have like the, the their kind of Netflix style, there will be a bunch of games included in the service like SNES and NES games that will be able to just download. And as long as you have your Switch online account, you'll be able to play those games for good. Um I wonder if they would hesitate to announce the virtual console at E3 this year, 
just in case it confuses the marketing that people will think that because the big rumor about the virtual console on the switch is that it's going to the the tent pole releases are going to be oh for the first time you'll have gamecube virtual console um and i wonder will they worry that if they do drop the virtual console in the same year that they're dropping the the online service will people get confused think that they're going to be getting gamecube games as part of their online subscription and will they just hold it off a little while longer um for me i'd like them to do it'd be a massive uh wave of pr for them to go oh yeah um the the it'll be live next week you know when they do their direct at e3 that would be awesome they would they would they would swipe the the headlines out from underneath their competitors and i think they're in a position like where that. they can do that yeah I like. I don't think. Uh, I I really don't think. For all the bluster that's made by people like us about the virtual console, I genuinely don't think the GameCube virtual console is a massive system seller. My main evidence for that is the fact that the fucking GameCube itself wasn't really a system seller. <laughs> I love the GameCube. You love the GameCube, but it was not a, a roaring success. No, no. It um, I, I think it's nice. A nice little cherry on top for your legacy Nintendo gamers who are are still around. Um, and yeah, like you said, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference for them. So if they went, okay, it's out next week. Um, the first couple of games out on it, you got Super Mario Sunshine, you've got Wind Waker. I'll tell you what, I would, there are very few people in this world. I would not kill Mark Robinson to have Wind Waker on my Switch and I could bring it with me everywhere. I mean, yeah. I, well, I mean, what would they do? I would well, no, because I presume they would just have the yeah, the the HD version um, yeah. ported across. So yeah, um, I, I would imagine very little work would need to be done with that. I would very much like to have uh, Wind Waker on my Switch. Um, I would imagine that Mario Sunshine, the redheaded stepchild of the 3D Mario games, would probably be in there. Um, you might even go like if you don't want to announce the if you don't want to do a port of the Wii U Smash game, which is very good, you could do Smash Melee, which is arguably the the peak in in terms of like the how beloved the franchise is. Uh, and I do feel like a uh, GameCube Virtual Console or Virtual Console for the GameCube is as close as we'll get to an F-Zero release on yeah. the Switch. So <laughs> yeah. um, You, you yeah. would also have to make sure that those, uh, do you remember the, the wired uh, adapters for the GameCube controllers? You'd, you'd want to make sure those are compatible with your Switch. Indeed. Um, so that people could actually play with the, the, the GameCube controller if they wanted to. That would be a nice touch. Um, what else from the GameCube would be like? I, I, Eternal Darkness is the one that I think will be the 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 golden eye of the <laughs> of the, of this lot. In as much as the rights aren't strictly Nintendo's to uh, put that game out on their virtual console, but it can't really. If it's ever going to show up on a virtual console, it can't really show up anywhere else. Uh, Mario Golf to- Toadstool Tour. Yeah, Double Dash. Double Dash, yeah. Um... But we got... Like, I, I think of you. Yeah, I, I think as well there might be, like... I, I think there's probably one, maybe even two Nintendo games that'll be coming out around Christmas that haven't been announced yet. Because I think Yoshi is supposed to be out in the summer. Um, 
so I, I, it would be very weird if Nintendo had nothing coming out in Q3, Q4. So I wonder, is there a Donkey Kong game or or what is there? Well, we have the Tropical Freeze port to come across yeah. at some point. Yeah, and I wonder, is that kind of like baiting the hook for a, like a full Switch Donkey Kong game? Um, but we shall see on that. Like, I don't know what what else we know there's a pokemon game being made exclusively for the switch like a full core pokemon game but we don't know when that's coming um we were told at e3 last year to expect that it would be more than a year before we'd see it again um but yeah it's really only speculation because nintendo so far have been surprising us constantly with uh this console and and in the best way i think yeah, and I'm pretty sure, I mean, we've got the Directs coming up. Um, God knows what they're going to drop. I expect it'll be something we're not expecting. Obviously, the big thing is um, whatever the Pokemon game is that comes to Switch, um, how will that change things? Will that be the thing that we kind of see as the 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 ultimate uh, kind of impending doom of the 3DS? If they announce, right, right, the next big Pokemon game is like Switch, Switch only. Uh, Switch exclusive, yep. that would be interesting. Um, and how they would go about incorporating any of your Pokemon and save files from the 3DS over to the Switch, because they have the Pokemon bank on the 3DS. Mm-hmm. But, you know, how they would have that interact in any way with the Switch would be super, super interesting to see. Um, and I just, I'd like to see uh, a lot more kind of party games, mini games, because the Switch is definitely, um, because you can. S- use the the joy con controllers to turn them into two separate controllers um i still think there's a lot lot of opportunities there to uh we we mentioned gang beasts Mm. the other day when we were playing it the gang beast would be a great game to have oh yeah um on the the switch and uh yeah it's a year old but it's boy it still has many many years to go um nintendo have struck gold in a way that i think a lot of people never expected them to do again after the original wii Mm. Yeah, absolutely, and I, th- I think we'll leave it at that. It has been a, a remarkable first year for the the Switch, and I, I can't wait to see what what they've got planned going forward. And hopefully, they don't fucking fumble this now because it's been a home run hmm. for the most part this past year. Uh, that's going to do it for episode one hundred and three. But we have one last bit of business, and Mark, you've been itching for two weeks to tell me about a game that we're going to do on this show, and, and I am sitting here firmly on the edge of my seat waiting for you to announce what are we going to do for episode 104 i would like to talk not necessarily about a a single game but it is a series of games that has have the 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 similar premise um it's the entire final fantasy series it's not 18 hours long no uh you've heard of a little company called team 17 yes yeah i Uh would like i would like next week to talk about a little game called worms okay excellent so take out your holy hand grenades and get ready because uh, we are going to talk about worms on episode 104 of link to the cast um that has been episode 103 of link to the cast this podcast is available on soundcloud itunes and most podcasting platforms just search for link to the cast subscribe to us there rate review it, it all really helps at the end of the day tell a friend just uh, get people on board with the link to the cast train before it pulls out of the station uh, the website is link to the cast.eu uh, that is where you will get your show notes links to 
the, the, the pod over on SoundCloud, things like that, your subscription links for iTunes. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, drop us an email, link to the cast at gmail.com. Social media, though, is the best and easiest way to keep up with us uh, in terms of when we post new content and just getting in touch with us uh, so that we can reply quite quickly. Facebook.com forward slash link to the cast and at link to the cast on Twitter. Individually on the tweet machine, I am at Dave Ryan IV and Mark is at Lithium Project. Uh, in addition to this weekly podcast here, we have a couple of other podcasts here on what we uh, sarcastically refer to as the Link to the Cast podcasting network. Um <laughs> We have a once every couple of months, usually around a big show or big event, pro wrestling podcast that we call The Grap Up. It's usually me, it's usually Mark uh, and our friends Jack Lazell and Barry Murphy and, and we break down the, 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 the big events in the world of professional wrestling um, because sometimes those events need to be broken down for they are so convoluted. Uh, in addition to that, we also have a monthly movie show where myself and Jack Lazell talk about uh, all sorts of things on big screens and small screens movies and tv when time allows called the popcorn social the latest episode of which just dropped a couple of days ago so check that out it's all in the same podcast feed as linked to the cast you don't have to go subscribe to a million different rss feeds and the shows don't come out so regularly that you would get annoyed by how clogged your rss feed is uh this month on the popcorn social we were talking about some of the films we've seen recently including black panther ladybird the shape of water three billboards outside ebbing missouri and i tanya we also have a feature on the show kind of like the book club where myself and jack uh pick a film each every month to do kind of a deep dive and discussion about why it's one of our favorite movies this month uh jack picked wayne's world and i picked ex machina so a couple of tonally very different movies uh talked about uh this month and we also had the debut of our uh guessing game where we tried to predict the the rotten tomatoes score of a movie before it comes out um so check all that out still all in the same podcast feed here with link to the cast you don't have to go anywhere else but link to the cast.eu or wherever your podcast platform of preference is as i said that's going to do it for episode 103 of link to the cast i've been dave ryan the man on the line for me is the dearly missed dearly departed mark robinson oh you fly uh, me <laughs> and we shall see you all next week and hopefully i'll have figured out how to record on my end by then bye bye <laughs> bye bye